Welcome to the Media Mavens podcast, where you'll hear the most compelling, provocative, and real conversations with industry leaders and innovators in tech, sports, and entertainment with our host and CEO of well-known PR firm, Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Mavis Podcast. And I'm super excited today because I'm here with Rich Swisher, president of Motive. Hi, Rich. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing? Good. It's so funny because I feel like we've been chatting forever. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, shit, we're on a podcast. <laughs> we we got to eventually get this podcast going. Okay, so I was going to jump in because we've been chatting. I love having you on right now for so many different reasons, but... You know, we're in this era of blockchain and crypto. And like when I met you guys, Motive is literally changing the world using Bitcoin. Okay, I'm going to stumble over this, but you have these impoverished countries that obviously are relying on dollars and banks. You guys are going in and actually helping them become a sustainable community because of Motive. And then I want to talk to you about Motive, what you guys are doing, why you guys doing this. Because I assuming Bitcoin was the reason everybody's trying to grow. But I think you guys, when we're talking about your passion and intent to help people, is not about fintech. It just happened that Bitcoin is in the market when you needed it to fulfill what you want to do with motive. Is that correct? Yeah. It makes us the odd man out a lot when we're around a bunch of Bitcoin people, Bitcoiners, and at the conventions and that kind of thing, where for them, everything is about whatever their angle is on Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency, whatever, fintech. For us, what's different is that's just a tool that we use. What we're about is is helping disempowered people. And I think the really cool thing to the Bitcoin community is that we don't have Bitcoin as an agenda. We have just found it to be the most useful tool possible for taking the disempowered, marginalized, and giving them real opportunity. And we do that in a number of ways, but in as far as currency and finance goes, the democratization, decentralized finance is fantastic. They don't have banks down there. They're not allowed to bank because they don't have identification. They have no record of themselves. And this is the majority of the population. And this is they, more this is more of the more the impoverished communities and you were way more articulate. You might started out asking the question, but the idea is to build these microeconomic communities in impoverished countries. And we all know they don't have running water, electricity, but they all have a cell phone. And I would say crypto, but I know we need to discuss this because crypto and Bitcoin are different. And there's a reason why you guys won't use crypto. So I want to get into this, but you guys are truly replacing a banking system that may or may not have existed or been very faulty with a better, more seamless way to thrive and survive using motive, right? Yeah. And and we aren't really even replacing it. People don't like change like that. We're We're providing a banking system just by saying, hey, download this wallet. We've given them a banking system. It's that simple. The intermediary of the banking world has just grown so big and powerful. I mean, it's it's in charge of nations. All we're looking to do is take the people who are held out of the economy because of lack of education, because of lack of, you know, and some of our some of our people is they don't have shoes to go to school in. So they don't go to school. So they end up uneducated. And so, you know, all we get to buy a pair of shoes and they're educated. But 
the banking system down there that was there before is still going on there, still doing the good things, the bad things, having the successes and having the failures they were before. They're dealing though with fiat currencies that are completely manipulatable. And we're looking at global problems of a bunch of different currencies being controlled by different central banks, creating more complex problems. And our solution is just way simpler. So that's what we're using. We don't force it on anybody. But now in um, Peru, we've had so much success in serving the people, in providing opportunity. A lot of what we do is through education. We have a couple of real quick things about motive. A, our purpose is to help the disempowered to give them something where they can go like, yeah, I, I am optimistic. I do have hope in that because, because of these facts, I can have hope. And that's the biggest thing we give them, period. Way bigger than, there's not an amount of money that would be more transformational in these people's lives than true hope that they really latch onto. That changes everything in their life. And in some cases, we've been able to really provide that in a big way or show them where it's at, really. The other side is we have, we have a five E ethos. We educate and then we equip them and then we empower them. And empowering is one of the, that's really the toughest thing is changing somebody's mind to the point when they come from, they've grown up generation after generation, like, no, we, our type don't have access to this. Oh no, we can't do that. And, and really some terrible self-beliefs like, oh no, we're not smart enough for that. There's other, other people groups. They're smart enough for that. So we have a lot going on on that third E. When we get them over that, it's great. And it allows them to emancipate themselves. That's the fourth E is emancipate. Emancipate themselves from whatever it is holding them back. Sometimes it really is. It's a, it's a physically harmful situation. Other times it's financial. Other times it's educational. It can be a number of, a number of things. And then the final E that we really push is, okay, you've been educated, equipped, empowered, and emancipated. It's time for you to return that favor to more people. And so go back and elevate those around you, elevate your community. If you're doing fine and your neighbors are all starving, you're just going to get robbed. Help them out. Get out there, you know, share what you learned. Rising tide lifts all boats. Motive is about people. And the, the reason we picked the name motive and left the E off the end of it, the reason we picked it was me and my co-founder, Valley Popescu, we are about taking action. Even if it's not perfect, go ahead, do it. Get something going. Let's not be talking about it. Let's be doing it. Make it happen. We'll improve it on the next time around or whatever, but let's just go. Make it happen. Do, do, do. And we run into a lot of nonprofits and, and ministries and everything else down in Peru that when the lockdown came, they were like, oh yeah, we can't work either. And for me and Valley. That didn't make any sense. It's like, this is the time where you guys kick into overdrive, right? No, no, the lockdowns, we got to, we got to stop, sit back and preserve. And we're not about sitting back and preserving. We're about taking action and making things go forward. The other definition, I mean, the definition in the dictionary is to cause mechanical action. The second definition is, refers to the reasoning behind what you're doing. Well, the reason behind what we're doing is we want to serve those who are in need. And I think disempowerment to me is a big one. Anyone ever tries to disempower me or, or most anyone here in America, like you, you push back, you fight back. And it's so sad to go down there and see people that are disempowered that have no clue that they could be empowered. And you see that, you see that in finance. I, I was recently having somebody talk to me about 
their mortgage. I was on a podcast and they were talking about, you know, the mortgage industry and on, you know, what, what prices are doing. And, and they asked like, could any of this technology help out with that? I'm like, yeah, they're a giant intermediary. Put the, the whole home buying system onto blockchain transactions and then put it, you know, when you're talking about that kind of thing, you definitely want it to be on the, on the Bitcoin blockchains, the most secure proof of work. 10 minutes isn't going to kill you. And, and as far as the transaction, as far as collateral, everything works fantastically well there. And I know companies that are doing, actually, I just thought of right now, there is a mortgage company that's working on becoming only Bitcoin. Why only? And I know we talked about this a little bit prior. Motive is only using Bitcoin, not crypto. What is it about Bitcoin that's making you guys stay solely in that lane versus giving crypto a chance? Well, the big, the big key is, and Bitcoin is crypto, but not all crypto is Bitcoin. Yeah. And the big reason behind it, if you are making it the currency, if you're taking these people and giving them hope, you're transforming their lives. And you've put them onto a, a currency, pick one of the other coins and the company or country or individual or whoever that controls that blockchain, because all of them have ownership except for Bitcoin. All of them have a corporation that could receive super heavy pressure from, a, you know, from the Chinese government or whatever. And they'll make changes to do that. Or you might believe that, no, they never will. They will stand up to and let themselves be decimated in front of China. And I don't know that that's the case. Bitcoin, no matter who tries to mess with the, the people that we put on these economies, no matter what country in the world, individual, big tech company, whoever, you bring the power player and tell them, all right, go ahead. And through manipulating currencies or seizing currencies without due process and, and whatnot, go ahead in there and try to pull the rug out from under them. And they'll have the worst chance if they're on Bitcoin. I, I heard on that same podcast, they were talking about some nations in Africa looking at Cardano or looking at some others to go to become legal tender. You're going to take a private company and put them in charge of your currency and be a legal tender in a, in a country over there. And you've got other countries that weigh in on this and all. I'm just thinking as the population, like, how many cooks have their fingers in my kettle here as far as what my money goes? Why wouldn't I just go, well, no, I'll do Bitcoin. Nobody else can touch it. Nobody else can mess with it. Question comes up. Well, the volatility of Bitcoin pops up. Yeah, look at it. Not over like crypto, point. because like I have my crypto. I have Cardano, Solano, and um, all these guys. And I have a little bit of ETH and Bitcoin. There's a few others scattered in there. And the crypto market is volatile because I know I dropped two or three grand in a week, up, down, up, down. We were asked by clients, hey, in this space, do you take crypto as a retainer payment? And we're like, no, because at the end of the day, if crypto's worth, you know, 10 grand right now, but then I get busy and then it drops down to three grand, four grand, either way, we're taking a loss. It's an investment like the stock market, but it's not to that point where I feel like it's stable enough as an actual currency, well, I agree with you, or Bitcoin is, you don't have, you don't have a lot of regular cooks in the kitchen. You just, it's just, it's a little bit more stable, but I want to kind of pivot back down. Peru is where you guys are working very heavily. Motive is right now. Are there other areas of the world in impoverished countries or communities that you guys are also doing the same thing for, or are we just focused right now in Peru? I'd love to go back to that previous one, but 
for right now, I mean, we're not even a year old. We'll turn a year old May 21st officially. We've been doing things for a year and a half since, well, actually before Bitcoin. So we've been doing it for two and a half with, you know, total one and a half with Bitcoin. And we're in, so Peru for us is kind of like three countries because we're in Iquitos up in the jungle region, the very north. And that is a completely different culture. Don't think there is no Peruvian culture, so to speak, that they're Amazonian tribes culture. And then up in Iquitos, it's the Quechua people. And it's not even the same language. And it's a very different culture, a different people. I mean, uh, the cultural people look different too. You can tell them apart a lot of times. And then you have kind of the rest of the mix of the Spanish and everything. And that's down along the coasts and in in uh, Lima and all. So for that, we've taken kind of the benefit of that and been able to develop our standards and operating procedures in such a way that we're able to roll over into another country and train this group up with a really small cadre of motive people and get it launched in other cultures, countries, whatever. So right now, what we have lined up is Argentina, Panama, Guatemala, and that's it. And really, the expansion that we have lined up right now is due to We've now been engaged by a uh, big energy development company, U.S. energy development company, to do humanitarian efforts around where they are doing things. In Lima, we're going to be working with them. We'll be the social responsibility piece of uh, what right now is planned to be. And the designs aren't finished, but the, basically the, the order is it'll be the largest sustainable engineering project of its kind in the world and a real common one. And it's in the waste industry. I, I don't know how much I can say about it. That's why I'm being vague, but really exciting. And we have a lot of work to do around that in Lima. And then they are also, they have projects in, oh, in Jamaica too. Two in Panama, a major one throughout Guatemala and potentially one in Jamaica. And then Argentina, right next door to Peru. We're super dialed in with a great partner there. And it, it's more of a, we're waiting for the donations to come in to go like, okay, because it's primed and ready. And we, by design, I mean, we were really hoping to get over into Eastern Europe before all this stuff with Ukraine popped up. We were looking at Ukraine, Moldova, Romania, mainly Moldova, I think. Valley is from Romania. So he understands that area over there and has tons of connections and relationships. Well, there's, um, I'm so good because we've been tracking on that. And there are over, I think it was over 40 million uh, people donating Bitcoin crypto to the Ukraine because of the dollars and the banks were shut down by Russia. I mean, it's amazing that, I mean, it's good and bad that we're between COVID and what's going on in the world, but the timing of having crypto and Bitcoin into the market where you can now make a difference and not rely on the banking system is just such a savior to a lot of people. And then I love that you guys are, because I was going to ask you about the expansion. So I'm glad you pivoted to that. You guys, it's a sustainable model and you have the expansion opportunities of what you're doing in Peru. And I think it's tremendous. I know you can't talk about this big project you guys are getting ready to launch on the engineering side, but I just think it's just showing where our future is going, how our humanitarian efforts are becoming not easier, but we have more technology to lean on, like fintech and other stuff, to sustain communities that have been like living in mud huts who didn't have the means to thrive and survive to this point. So I just think it's amazing purpose and intent of taking 
the Bitcoin and doing what Motive does to make a difference in the world with these guys. But my question is, you are moving into these indigenous tribes. You are moving into these impoverished countries and territories. Are you taking the time to educate these tribes and communities who don't really have computers, aren't quite sure what Wi-Fi is, but you know they still have that disconnect of modern technologies because they're so far off the grid in some of these communities. Are you teaching them how to use Bitcoin on their phones, the wallets, how to utilize this as a sustainable living banking model yeah, down me, there? Let me, let, me, let me catch some of that. So funny thing is, if somebody time travels from 1900 to today, you don't have to show them every single invention in the telephone all the way up to the smartphone fifth generation, the iPhone 13. You can just show them the iPhone 13. It's easier to figure out than all those other ones you tried to walk through. And so when we're going to these villages, people are like, oh, how do you get them from way back there to here? We get them there like that. We get them there a lot faster than you get Americans there because Americans tend to hold on to, oh, I really liked my Blackberry though. There's gotta, <laughs> there's gotta be the buttons I push. And, and I'm mocking that because that was me. But no, it's it's very easy to bring modern technology there. Now, what if I, what if I went to one of these villages and I was like, I want to take this 10 year old and, and have him become a coder. Would he be any further behind 10 year old up here or anything like that? What if I took an 18 year old there and an 18 year old here? Yeah. There, you know, there's times like that where, okay, there'd be a bit of a gap, but they'd, they'd be able to pick coding up too. So they're not at the big disadvantage there. What they lack is access to a lot of this stuff. One thing that really struck me spending time down in Lima area. Lima is 42 different municipalities. So it's not a city, but I'll, I'll talk about it like it is. It just interacting with the people and whatnot. And then doing the same thing out in the very remote villages with the Quechua people. And you don't even have to be able to speak the languages to see the different level of intensity and drive. And you see some people are, I guess I relate it back to what, what we have, what I've experienced here in America, just kind of growing up. You have rural, Country folk that are trying to survive will work before sunup till after sundown to make that happen, working on the land, pounding on a piece of rock, whatever it is. And in the city, people that grew up in the city, it's a very different approach to how you get ahead and whatnot. And you watch all that. But then once you turn on, once you let them see that like, hey, nobody can take your money from your own house, they're less worried about here. We run into people. Like, I don't want the government seizing my money. I want this and that. There, they're worried about, I don't want my cousin taking you know, the money I have. They can't put it in a bank. Every bit of money they have is on their person or is sitting in their room somewhere. There's no saving money. There's no saving to build up to buy something bigger. That's a rarity. That all changed when they got a wallet. And people are like, well, they can't store a bunch in their wallet. Their wallet will get stolen or lost. Yep, happens all the time. We have street robberies, armed robberies, where people are serving or being, being robbed by gangs on the street. And they didn't lose any of their money. They had to get a new phone, bring up their new wallet. So, uh, I mean, for those kind of reasons. And then when you talk about the volatility of crypto, when you're an investor and you're looking at what the value of your portfolio is, when you are treating it like a speculative asset, you look at it one way. When you are treating it as, all right, this is, this is our currency. This is our, this is our gold standard. This is our, the value that we use. Yeah, it goes up and down. Or you could look at the prices of the goods and say, well, those are going up and down. But for right now, it is. And it has not hurt them at all because of how quickly the spend goes for them. They earn and spend and earn and spend. They're not looking at, well, I got this hundred grand sitting here. Ooh, boy, it's down to 80. 
They don't have that. They're not worried about that. The little bits that they're off are tiny. And that volatility gets mellower and mellower. I think we saw it last year when you know Elon Musk pulled Tesla. Yeah, we're not going to accept it until the green footprint. Bam! And everybody crashes it down. It's the people that don't understand what the technology is. People don't understand that the beauty is not the Bitcoin itself. The beauty is the Bitcoin blockchain. That's what makes Bitcoin what it is. That's what makes it so good. And when they're talking about what they believe, I don't believe in Bitcoin. You can't hold it. The uh, They believe in their dollars when they're not well, holding it's, it's, their dollars. It's, 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 it's the education. I mean, you but have it, to embrace the technology. It means it's where we're going. Yeah. People keep asking, when's the volatility going to mellow out? When people understand why Bitcoin is as valuable as it is because of the, the rules that it has on its blockchain and why its blockchain was created and the fact that there is no owner. So yeah, right now it, it goes up with FUD up and down with fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And uh, that is getting far less volatile. And there was some great upside volatility too. And then when it comes to all the other coins and stocks, not, hey, I've never been smart enough to make money on penny stocks, but I, I know that people have, and that's great. And there's also fun play money. I'm, I'm not the guy that goes to Vegas and gambles, but you know who doesn't take a grand or so when they go to Vegas and like, oh, let's see what happens here. I would do that on those maybe. The different blockchains, have different values to various companies that are using them internally or outsourcing or whatever. I mean, I'm not an anti on any of that, but when it comes to money, that's where I am the maximalist. And and I just, I'm still open to seeing, but through my education at MIT in this, through everything I've watched go on, through what I've just learned over my years on this rock, I'm not seeing anything else out there that looks more trustworthy. People right now trust the Federal Reserve and they trust the U.S. government more than anything. I mean, who would ever think that those institutions would do anything against our good? I'm not one of those that believes that. I'm not, I'm not anti-government by any stretch, but I also look at it and go, I don't see the need for the U.S. federal government or more importantly, the Federal Reserve, it's not even, it's, it's not the government being completely in charge of all the money and coming up with all the policy and doing all this and putting their fingers in it. I really believe that when it comes to my personal property, I want to hold on to it. If it's my car, it's going to be mine. If it's my clothing, I don't want somebody having that. When it comes to my money, I don't want them having that either. But the game we've been playing for quite a while now is, well, yeah, but the money's in the bank. I'm transacting. And yeah, my money's taken care of. It's right there in the bank. All our transactions are digital now. Anyway, who in the hell uses paper money? Hardly ever. And I, and I hear a lot of people say, well, I got to have something tangible to hold on to. And I'm like, all right, let's go into a room. You bring your tangibles. I'll bring my intangibles and see who walks out of there with a bigger smile because I can take yours. You can't take mine. Even if you just beat the snot out of me and wipe the floor with me in there, you're not getting out of there with mine, but I will get yours. I, so this is like, I'm so torn like with when I, every time I talk to you, because I love that motive is all about producing the physical mechanical motion. It's, it's what you guys are passionate about. And I, I said, because we're a tech agency and I love the innovation of the technology, you know, from AI, Bitcoin. I mean, I mean, I love all of this, but I also love that there's a passion deep down to serve to help other people be better, to leave them for good, to leave them better, just because you're using what you know on the sadness of the technology and bringing it literally physically into their lives to help them. Not just because, like you said, I want to go to Vegas, roll the dice, 
I wanted to be part of a crypto wallet saying, cool, I have an NFT. But they're literally using this thanks to motive and your passion and drive to live, to buy, to, to buy things, to actually pay bills. I mean, this is their currency that's safe, secure, and it's giving them a reason and hope to have it more sustainable and they could grow where they may not have been able to without motive and without that education on the blockchain. And so I just, I'm always like, like I'm, I'm about the passion and the purpose, but I'm also about you're using technology for good, for a greater good. Well, it's, you know, it, it's the genesis. First and foremost, me and my co-founder, Valley, maybe we should get a little bit of the foundational story. I was not supposed to succeed at building a playground. And I think Valley was there to help me a bit, but he was probably not supposed to be able to help me. And we end up in this big, challenging situation, just the two of us and some locals up in this little Quechua-only speaking village. And Valley's terribly sick with altitude sickness. I'm running into problems trying to put this playground in the ground. The, the ground is solid rock. And he notices, because he's, he grew up in communist Romania, really rough, really, really rough situation, escaped his family in that to Argentina, went to Bible college there. I, I could be saying that wrong, but I think it was a Bible college. And then he went out and started working in the ministry in Argentina and got married to a Peruvian that he went through Bible college. He bounced up there and he's this kind of, he's a ministry worker, missionary pastor, hey, whatever it is. But he always just scrambles on his own to make great things happen for people. And there are plenty of complaints from those he works for. They're like, yeah, I told him to do this. And he went and did all that. And the more I got to know him, the more I really liked the way he worked. He knows what he's up to. He's there to serve people, not to serve the ones giving him the paycheck. Yeah. And that was always me. I struggled with that a million years ago. I was LAPD. And a lot of people, a lot of the old timers, you know, that would really impress upon you. Be like, hey, buddy, you ain't working for the one on your paycheck. You're working for the one on your chest. You are the police officer. Be honorable to that. Don't worry. The city you're working for and all the politics and all like that, get away from there. And that really helped doing a job like that. We had a lot of really tough decisions and a lot of leeway. It helped to be grounded in what you're really there for. And motive is very much grounded in that. And we'll never bend away from that. My All of my fulfilling jobs in my career, and I've had a, a bunch of different and varied ones. The fulfilling ones are when you're able to do something wonderful to somebody else because then it multiplies. So I don't have the multiples of money sitting in my bank account that some of my successful friends do. But I know that there are people around the world that have benefited. Their lives have been saved or their children's lives have been saved or whatever by the stuff that we're doing. How is that not the coolest thing you can Well, because when we talk everything you've done and you've said the happiness was to service other people and everything you do has a purpose to make somebody better, even if it's the smallest thing with motive, you're making a big impact with the smallest thing. And that has to feel good because we I'm kind of laughing because we talked about this like servicing, being a police officer, you're in the military, tremendous, tremendous job that you did that people are grateful. You keep people safe. You're now literally affecting their lives one-on-one -on -one with this, but you also had a time in there where you're a sports agent. And I'm laughing because you have all the jobs you've had to service and make people better, to make a difference in the world, to leave your mark, your legacy, knowing you helped others. You're like sports agent stuff is the worst job in the world. You're just working for a bunch of assholes who are all about the next dollar. 
<laughs> Don't tell my clients that. No, they're not. There, there are a couple. No, there, there, there's some good ones out one there. With an asshole, I certainly worked around a bunch of assholes and with some, but no, my clients were clients were all pretty good. There's a couple that aren't on the good good boy list, but no, there's there's some good ones. It's just funny because we deal with a lot of sports agents, and there's some tremendous great people. I just laugh at the industry as a whole, not the people. Certainly well, that's just, what that's what I just didn't understand about it. I, I'm a motocross racer, and just that is my personal passion uh, racing dirt bikes. And, um, when I was on LAPD, there was guys doing it and there's this fire and police national series. And uh, I was like, why don't we have a team? We are a big blue. Come on, let's do this. So put a team together and it, that put me in contact with some motorcycle industry people, which is uh, when I got out of the military, I came out here and took the LAPD job as a way to figure out what I wanted to do. When I grew up, I knew it was something, it'd be great if it was some of motorcycles, but I had no idea what I wanted to do with that. So these relationships turned into pretty quick opportunity to help out some athletes get some licensing deals. And I saw that these young kids were getting ripped off. And it's all dirt bike riders are, they are blue collar kids. Their parents, you know, work waitresses, a lot of construction workers or contractors or whatnot. The parents pay incredible money to get them through their amateur career. And then they're 16, they move to LA and they're cocky. They have to be if they're that good, full of themselves and 16 and famous. And there's a lot of ways for things to go sideways. And um, so as I'm doing that, I'm helping these guys. Parents were like, can you just watch over my kid? This deal's fine. Whatever. Watch over my kid. Make sure my kid is not, you know, going to ruin themselves, throw their career away or worse. And um, so I started working with racers and helping them. And I was doing a great service. And I was still, I was at the time I was at a now defunct division of LAPD called Anti-Terrorist Division, which was a really cool place to work. And uh, so I had long hair and beard and I'm helping these guys out and doing great things for them. And I'm not doing great. It it was, I left anti-terrorist division days before September 11th happened. So I felt great. And and, and then I rolled out of the department about a year after that and just did nothing but sports agent stuff for 10 years and was successful. We were the, probably the second most influential sports agency in the space globally had a great time, learned. It was really, it was my business education is what it was. And what it more, because we were successful pretty far into that, I started getting lost and I really lost a lot of the passion. And when it would switch to, Hey, we're going to make a ton of money here. We are killing We got best clients. We got this going on. That's never exciting to me. That's like, Oh, okay. So we're cruising now. I'm ready to, I want to, I want to do sprints. Is there another direction we can go in? So I did. So I, bounced over into action sports and brought the whole broader thing in and was able to help guys that really needed it. But pretty soon I was babysitting teenage millionaires and changing the business plan every time they got a new girlfriend and was over it. And uh, it ended in 08. And I did go back into sports to help a good friend who was selling his big sports venue, uh, not venue, a big, a big stadium property, stadium event. And that too, that was worse than being back into the sports agent. Uh, great people, but uh, I don't want to don't want to be in that. And when I was finally able to, I do volunteer stuff here from home. You know, once a month, once every two months or something. When you're able to, when I got to go to work for that company I was working for down in Peru, I went to work for them for a fraction of what I normally make, and I was the lowest man on the totem pole, and so stoked to be a part of doing such great things that they were doing so much so that I think I was, I was even suspected by some like, why is this guy with this background at this 
peon level here and he acts like he's fine. I don't know. I think there was some question there, but I loved it. I loved being able to just work my butt off. And at the end of it, see that other people are, are bounding forward or other people are being pulled up from out of the, you know, being underwater and then now getting to do this. You know, I just, my hope is I don't blow it. I love, I, I totally, it's just all about the passion and feeling good about helping others. So I totally see where the trajectory is coming from with you. What I love about what you're doing at Motive, you are, besides helping these communities, you got these programs with providing the kids with education. Uh, you have life-saving steps from mortality. You have the medical side. I think it was Motive Med. Let's talk a little bit about, because I don't want to run out of time, but you have these programs and you have, I think, a tech program. And there are tremendous areas. Are these areas that you're teaching or educating in these markets, these vertical areas, med, kids, tech, how to utilize Motive and their wallets to live and to grow? Or these are programs you're instilling through Motive. There's more ways to save lives and give people hope and a different way of banking. It's a little bit of all of that because initially the reason we had to go, I mean, business sense is pick one thing you do well, do that one thing, get better and better and better, be that one thing and be the best at that one thing. Well, we would get criticism for those we would talk to or get advice from on how to create these circular economies. So what we were doing, I mean, we, we started out with real quick, I'll finish that thought before I get into a story about it. What we found is if you are going to create a Bitcoin economy in it, let's say it's in a neighborhood in a big city. And that's where most of ours are. People think villages, we are primarily, our, our largest footprint is in, is in Lima and in, in squatter villages around their towns. And they need to buy their necessities. So they have to be able to go and pay their utilities. They have to go and be able to buy more time on their cell minutes. They have to go and buy groceries. They have to buy clothing. They have those kind of things. So then you need to start spreading around and getting those kind of stores accepting Bitcoin. And then you need those stores to be able to utilize it on their books. So they need to be able to spend it to their wholesalers and all the way up the chain. So that was one side of where, okay, yeah, this is not hand Bitcoin to somebody. This is, we got to, we got to put in some legwork and do something. And we have a good network there due to Valley. So we did. Then what we saw was, okay, we're, we're, I'm very, very anti-charity, very anti-handout. There's no, I didn't spoil any of my children. You know, I'll shoot. Maybe I did a little bit. I, I tried not to. That, that was a big fear of mine. Giving it out to them was just a no-go for me or for Valley. I had to come up with a way to earn it. And so we looked at, okay, what, what can they do that we need? Or what can we pay them to do that will benefit our mission? And that's really kind of what we rested on. And it's education. What they needed to learn, they needed those first three E's really bad. And some of them, it's a fruit cart. Others, they're baking pastries and made a home-centered business. Others went through a medical training to become podologists. And now our life-saving steps program is podology people. Others are learning how to become cobblers and make shoes. And we have a shoe manufacturer that's part of our program that came through our program. So we ended up with, and let me jump back to him. We ended up with this portfolio of programs and all together they work to create these circular economies and these chained together, linked together opportunities for them. Most of the places around the world and certainly throughout Latin America, it's not a middle class. There is the upper class and there's the massive lower class. If that country wants to improve, 
they need to improve that lower class. That's the hindrance. That is their biggest treasure. And that's where we pour ourselves into is, is how to help them. And a couple of the cool stories that we had out of that in the diversity of these programs, we have a, a guy running a hub. It's not Valley. It's, a, it's one of the other guys that works with running a hub. And he had mentioned that there's this, the widower, a dad has brought his kids in and they mentioned that to me. And I was like, you know, okay, I was a single dad and uh, maybe not, not a widower, but I, but I get it, but they seemed pretty excited about that. Then Valley tells me, Hey, you know, that's a really special case. And I was like, okay, well, you know, dig in. I don't get it. But down there, I guess when mom goes, dad splits and this guy didn't, and his kids are coming in and helping serve. We had a public pot meal situation for the people who, who are during the pandemic, no money. And he would make his kids serve everyone before they would, you know, for they would dig in. And the project manager started talking to him. And he said, yeah, my wife, my wife has died. And my, I think it's 14 year old, he's attempted suicide. And I have to keep my eyes on him all the time. I, and my, you know, the pandemic has shut me down. I'm a shoemaker. I have a shoe manufacturing plant, whatever you call factory, where they make shoes. He said, to let my people go. He had like seven or nine people working for him there in the, in the local neighborhood. I mean, he makes all kinds of shoes, like running shoes, dress shoes, high heels, you name it, he does it all. And he's like, yeah, I can't, I can't work unless my 14 year old is right there with me. I'm scared to go anywhere. Uh, he means the world to me, my, both my kids. And, and so they were trying to figure out what to do with this guy. And I was like, open a, open a class on how to make shoes. Let's get this guy some employment going back for himself, but now we can employ others. And so now those shoes are being made and they're being sold to various stores around our, our network that are in our Bitcoin acceptance group. And we're working on developing a design and, and creation of like an athletic hiking boot, like the ones that we buy in Life Saving Steps, so that our program then can be circling those right back around. So local materials, local manufacturing, local people, and it's a, it's a vocational employment. So these people are being trained and then it's, and it's they can go and have another employment. So you guys are really like, you guys are teaching them how to be their own entrepreneurs, sustainable businesses, and giving them the tools they need to survive in these countries. I, it's like, it's amazing. Like I am in awe of what you guys are doing with Motive. Truly, Rich, it's a, tremendous how you guys have pivoted with the technology down there. And there's so much poverty here in the United States, as it is. I know we focus on, there's so much bad stuff in the world and people who just need help on every level. But if we, and we look at what you guys are doing down there, but then we look at our own backyard in the United States There's some very impoverished, bad areas here to live in. Are you guys considering taking what you're doing, kind of bringing it back full circle to certain impoverished cities and areas in the United States? You touched on a couple of words, like impoverished is one that you won't, won't hear me use. And if anyone in our company uses it, I'll probably speak up. It's okay to be poor. Good we don't God. mind people being poor. What people need to have is enough. And where they don't, then, then there's a problem. And so it's not that the impoverishment that you're talking about, yeah. it is a problem, but it's not the problem. If you're in America, why you got impoverished is the problem. If, you were, if you're in Peru, it's pretty easy to figure out for most of them. And they have some of the same problems that we have. You know, we drive ourselves into poverty up here too. Yeah. But my 
focus. I'm very patriotic. I love this country and what it was founded on and what it's supposed to stand for. I raised my hand to go and and serve and, and would do it again. My kid, one of my kids is what I want Americans to do is to be motive. Those broke ones. When I really started my volunteering was at the end of my sports agency. At the end of my sports agency, it happened in the summer of 2008. And if you've ever seen the movie, Jerry Maguire, I'd have kids, you know, my, my, my buddies would tease me from the police department or whatever. Oh, so you're Jerry Maguire now. And I'd kind of laugh. Well, you know, there's some similarities, but I wasn't in stick and ball sports and this and that. I got Jerry Maguire. I totally got <laughs> Jerry Maguire out of my firm. Glad that I did now, but I was broke. All of my money had gone into a custody battle. I mean, I was, I was zeros on my account, everything everything shut off. I mean, they pulled the rug out of from under me so bad, so hard. And there's no way to earn money other than like commission only sales gigs kind of thing. And I'm scrambling and I got a kid that's in junior high or elementary school at the time, elementary. I'm engaged or thinking about now, probably, yeah, probably engaged or close to it. And I had some time, but I didn't have money. And I found that there was this group that was running down to Baja they take off at like five in the morning, Saturday morning, and then you'll be back Sunday night late. You go down there and you build stuff. You And I went down, they were building a training center for the deaf for sign language in Mexico and Mexican sign language. And um, I went and hauled concrete and poured wet concrete down into walls. And I did that for two days and wore myself out and found what I was missing. Yeah, I got to be helping other people. This is what it's all about. That's why I was so miserable doing really well with sports. I wasn't really helping people that were in need. What I want to give to America is I want them to become motive. I want them to quit sitting back as the wealthiest, most wonderfully endowed place to be born into. Okay, tell me why you're not winning here. And let's start cracking away. And, And first of all, Let's review your definition of win. If if you're here to get really rich, okay, you're in the right spot. I I don't care if you do or you don't. Almost rather you don't. So, but if you're looking at no, I want to be effective. I want to be a net producer for society. I want this and that. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, but man, you got to put the screen down or whatever it is, put the vices down, whatever it is, get the laziness out, which uh, we all have to tackle and get out there and do something. And one of the best ways, to figure out what you need, pour yourself into other people. Learn more about them. You'll see qualities in those those you may have looked down on. You'll see quality. When I, I was a cop for a while on Skid Row in LA, and I met so many wonderful people there. Just learn how to look through things when you're dealing with life at the real bare bones level. So get out and go do something for somebody. It doesn't have to be big, but do it and then do it again and then do it again and do it You know, to where you're really thinking about what what you're trying to accomplish as far as fixing poverty here in the U S no desire to help. I think, I think it's chosen. Sorry to sound callous, but it's, it's chosen in various ways. A lot of times here, no one's been able to fix my stupidity yet. So I'm not going to try to fix anyone else's. I do want motive to be an example of just, just get in and go. I had recently this podcast that I was going on, and it's called the Sean Ryan show. I think the, and the one I ended up on is his other one, Vigilance Elite. But the guest before me was this guy. He's a, he used to be a Marine. He has a Scottish accent. So I love hearing him talk. He was a recon Marine, their branches, special ops. And 
he's done with the Marine Corps. He's living in Chicago area or something like that. He has like jujitsu studios. He's doing well. And one of his employees or something like that is Ukrainian. He's like, I got to go back and see what's up. And this guy was saying, no, you know, don't, that's not smart. It's not good. Don't go over there, dude. It's a bad time. He's like, I got to go. So this guy, and I think someone else from the company or a friend of his prior military guy, combat vet was like, we'll, we'll escort you back. If you really got to go, we'll go with you. And so they went with their friend and while over there saw great need and started giving advice. And pretty soon they're training up the civilians are like, Hey, show me how to hold a rifle. I want to defend my country. They started teaching some of like the base security operations. Like, all right, here's what we like about what you have going on. Here's what you need to change. And pretty soon this Marine, this ex-Marine and this other guy, they're all in and they're over there helping, training, doing all this. It's that is being motive. That is, all right, I see a problem and I'm not just going to pontificate about it. And I'm not going to go, Oh, let me see if I can find somebody to help you with that. Oh, I see a problem. Oh, I have a solution. I better be the one to just go do this. There's the answer to, in my opinion, 99% of the world's problem. Oh, there's a problem. Ah, I bet I, I have a little bit I can do to remedy that. Just do it. Don't sit and think about it. So that's the effect I want to have on America. I think it's tremendous. I love talking about this because everybody talks about, let me just write you a check. Let me go tell somebody, here's an idea. But there's a difference of saying, hey, here's a check. Here's somebody who could help you versus let me roll up my sleeve, no matter how big or small. Just let me step in and do what I know what I could do to make your situation, even if it's a little bit better. There is a purpose and intent of why I met you or why you're here and why I could help and why you need my help. And I love that you're applying the whole passion and intent and purpose to motive to help other people. I mean, it is a tremendous story and a tremendous thing to do. And it is definitely the narrative that most people don't hear, but they need to stop and listen. There are such small things we could do to help make a difference in other people's lives. We just need to do it. I mean, I'm all for the Marine and his buddies escort them to Ukraine and staying to help them out. That is a humanitarian effort of character and leadership that we need to understand and recognize. That's character, that's leadership. Not sitting behind an office sometimes, writing checks and babysitting office staff just to say you're a CEO. That's not true leadership. It's leading by example. And that's what I love about you and Motive. That's absolutely right. When you think about the thing, the little things, if you take time out to say something thoughtful, not to say something polite because everyone has the polite. Oh, yes, that's very beautiful. Say something thoughtful and insightful to somebody that shows that you're thinking about them. It makes a difference when you yeah. do something that shows that you've been thinking about them and it makes a difference even bigger. And it typically it's it's the biggest value you can ever expend. When I would go down and, and the group I would go down to Mexico with on those weekends um, and did it for well over a decade. It's called Strong Tower Ministries and they're still doing great things. Great, close friends of mine. But you would come back on that Sunday after just hammering yourself, carrying concrete, just working your butt off. And other times the trips are pretty mellow and easy, but you always came out of there going, I got so much more out of those people than they got out of me today. The bit that we are doing for them, like, and, and we build really cool big buildings down there. That wasn't what turned those people on. What turned those people on is People that don't have to help about it, they care about us. They see they're in a better situation. We're in a rough one and they're here and they'll hang out with us and they'll talk to us like we're peers. The 
getting out and doing, there's so much more fullness to it. And that's just, I, I don't know. It, I, I'm all yeah, about I, random I acts are, of kindness. I mean, I just think that random acts of kindness, I'm like you said, no matter how big or how small, it makes a difference. And you should always leave somebody better when you walk away than when you walk up, no matter what it is. But I guess I just, okay, we are so running out of time. I love having you on motive for anybody who wants to get involved, whether it's roll up your sleeves, go down, help out. Where can they find you guys? It's mo, M-O-T-I-V dot, no, dot com dot N-G-O. Dot N-G-O. M-O-T-I-V. There's no E on the end because the other thing about motive, if it doesn't make sense and it's just there pretentiously, it's gone. And we also thought, ooh, this would be cool. We'll get motive spelled differently. So it'll be great for URLs. No, there's tons of groups out there spelled the same. So be careful. But M-O-T-I-V dot N as in Nancy, G as in George, O as in organization. That's our website. And then our social media, our handles are Motive NGO Global, at Motive NGO Global. So we're on plenty of the platforms. And if anybody, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, because you're the president and co-founder of Motive, they can find you on LinkedIn, best place. Yep. Yeah, LinkedIn would be a great place. You can um, email to info at motive.ngo. You can, for me directly, probably LinkedIn would be would be the best. Perfect. Oh my God, it was so good having you on, Rich. I'm looking forward to watching you guys change the world with this. But until then, it was great talking to you, having you on. And um, we're looking forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. It was, I'm so excited that you had me on. Thanks so much. It was good. Yeah. You know what? It's a message that more people need to hear every day. But until then, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment, Media Mavens Podcast, here with Rich Swisher at Motive, M-O-T-I-V dot N-G-O. And I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Bye. All right. Great. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens Podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or want to download past episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, please visit MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.